1: Maria is a Stanford-educated engineer and founder and CEO of Playful. She is committed to addressing the youth mental health crisis. Born in Colombia and understanding the pressures of adversity, she leverages her experience from her pioneer role on Neobot's founding team to create impactful solutions in education. Through her tireless research and collaboration with a diverse team of experts, Maria developed Playful, offering accessible, preventative, mental health resources to families of all social economic statuses. Her dedication to training, a diverse mental health workforce, and establishing partnerships with schools has already impacted thousands of students in South Country. Welcome to the podcast, Maria. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to pull out. Uh, last week. <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
0: this last, you know, it's funny cause summer for education tends to be, you know, a time of we're going to be resting and we're going to be um, sort of resetting for everything. But uh, over the last couple of weeks, it's just been very, very hectic preparing uh, for back to school um, coming up.
1: Tell me how you got started with playful. So um, i mentioned in your bio, you were an engineer. Um, so how did that lead you into wanting to work in the capacity that you do now? You also worked with yeah. mirrorpodge so we could talk a little bit about how that kind of said Yeah, it's a pretty unique background. So I actually thought
0: I was going to be building airplanes and spaceships for as my career. <laughs> Uh, that was when I was in school, I, I wanted to be an engineer and I went to school for mechanical engineering and worked at GE, worked at Boeing and, you know, did the thing. And it was, I always had a tutoring company or a tutoring gig as my hobby, right? I worked with kids every day after school on math and science. And it was through that work that I realized I realize now that it wasn't about teaching them, you know, the Pythagorean theorem, but it was about talking about whatever was on their minds, right? Whether that was, you know, the test that was coming up to keep it academic or the, like, boy trouble they were having or, you know, the fights with their family members, um, whether that was, like, their siblings or their parents. So, so much of that time was really about holding space for big emotions and, helping them, like asking powerful questions to understand like what was actually going on and what they felt that they needed. And again, that was very much my hobby until I realized that I wanted to be, a, be in education, not in aviation. <laughs> and that's when I joined Nearpod to build out their was right after they raised their Series A uh, they were building out their content store and really it was a, a, the inflection point where devices were just making their way into the classroom and we started to see sort of the impact that quote-unquote simple technologies could have in, in the classroom and the lives how it could change the lives of teachers and students um, so if i started there really aiming to sort of revolutionized what learning could look like. My first project was actually build, building the um, virtual field trips in the classroom, which, you know, using the little cardboard cutouts that we had back then. And over time, I realized, you know, how to build a product that kids wanted to use, that teachers would use, and like that was making the teacher's lives easier as in the classroom, um, and that administrators could pay for, right? Because that you need all of those things to be successful in education and to make an impact in education. Um, so those are some of the lessons that I think about in my day-to-day now um, and are very, very much informing how, how we think about Clayful. Um, the transition into Clayful though, was really around the pandemic. So this was summer 2021 um, and seeing the impact that the pandemic had had on all of our mental health. But, all, but particularly on kids, right? The, the lack of structure and schooling, the anxiety of what was going to happen, the lack of social interactions, and not being able to develop those like cognitive abilities, and, like making friends and talking to people, like looking them in the eye and seeing their mouth, or like all these things that are so core to how we grow as humans, uh, we didn't have. Right and real, I my hypothesis at that point was, wow, this is going to have a really huge impact, as it's already having a big impact on adults. And unfortunately, I was right. And we, you start seeing some of the stats around the rise in depression, rising anxiety, the self harm, um, and then you have you know the rise of TikTok and social, and the increase in social media years, and how that affects restrictive eating and. There's so many of these things happening at the same time. And I realized I needed to be a part of the solution. So quit my job and started talking to people to figure out what that might look like and slowly got to what we're doing now, which is pre- working with schools to provide preventative mental health coaching to every student so that we can reach kids before they get to a breaking point and to help them build resilience, build the coping skills, help them identify emotion, live through challenges, so that we're building a healthier foundation for what the future generation looks like.
1: Yeah, that's so neat how you transitioned from kind of working uh, with developing an app for teachers to use, using your engineering school skills um, and, you know, developing things that they could build virtually, but then using what you noticed happened during the pandemic um, and kind of intertwining some of your uh, previous experience. But um, when I first um, heard about... um, you know what, you do and talk to you on the pre chat. Um, it said that you started coaching already when you were 15. So you have that gift of just helping other teens. So tell me, like, what you did uh, as a teen yourself to um, help peers uh, who are struggling. Yeah. One of my friends says I started playful to help, like, clone myself
0: and like, to <laughs> just give everybody a Miranda pocket. Um, it was, I mean, a lot of my friends. You know, we're, middle school and high school is a hard time for a lot of reasons, right? Uh, I came to the U.S. when I was 10 and I was, I saw a lot of, uh, I felt a lot of pressure and saw a lot of my friends going through similar things Um because my mom had come here be, to give me a better life and I had to make that sacrifice worth it or that's how I felt, right? So I couldn't show a sign of weakness, I couldn't uh Say I needed help with anything, right? I, I felt that even though my mom was amazing, I'm like would have totally been there for me. I didn't want to put that burden on her, right? And mm-hmm. and I see so much of that in kids today, and I saw so much of that in my friends too. So, you know, whether it was, you know, let's call it children horsing support through those pre-calc lessons, like oh yeah, like here's like Sokatoa, but also like how are you doing? How are you feeling? Like that. Mm-hmm. What happened at school yesterday was really uncomfortable and like do you mm-hmm. want to talk about that and um, but a lot of the time that I spent tutoring with whether it's my friends or my friend's siblings, it really was spent time spending time just talking through what was going on in their lives and that back then you know I didn't have the trait the, the official training that I do now right yeah I, I was taking I remember sophomore year I took AP psych so, I had some skills back then, <laughs> Be- very basic, Yeah, uh, But I've always been sort kind of a psych aficionado. And like, mm-hmm. even when I was doing mechanical engineering at Stanford, I, I was taking all these psych classes on the side. Mm-hmm. People were like, What are you doing? Like, people take like French cooking anywhere <laughs> Some other really interesting elective. And where I am, I'm like learning about child development. So, uh, that's my hobby. Um, so, it's just been something that's you know now that I look back, I see already the odds that were connected back then. um and when when I was there, when I was fifteen, it really was just about like holding space and giving yeah. them an opportunity without judgment and just being there. Mm-hmm. There's so much so much so that you can do by just oh. being there for someone and holding space without judgment,
1: yeah, yeah. and and also, I think just hearing about your story like, um, you navigated a couple twists and trends like during the pandemic, but this this was always that gift that you had. Like you said, you were already taking interest in psychology at Stanford. And you know, you had that interest in helping people out. And, you know, now that you saw that need after the pandemic. So um so we're kind of looking at some of the residual effects right now as we begin the twenty-three, twenty-four school year. Like you said, you're um you're preparing things for teachers and uh you know i think it's still going to be a while with you know kids that are feeling isolated uh, a lot of schools uh do a good job and trying to plug kids in with uh peers but uh where do you see the future of student mental health um uh, maybe five years from now yeah one of the big changes i've seen
0: uh, so i this may be weird but I think about mental health and like the mental health system as like firefighting
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you know for so right now we're in this and like through the pandemic we've been in this full-on like firefighting mode right there's all these forest fires and our counselors our psychologists or social workers are out there putting out fires day in and day out and what we're trying and, and like they're busy doing that work right like all the time and what i hope we get to is the point where everyone has a fire extinguisher and we talk about fire safety and we have fire alarms and there's a place where like we can do so much to prevent fires so that that we're not always firefighting Mm -hmm. so like that's a transition i'm starting to see right like i look at Um, a lot of states and the state plans that are coming out and district plans that are coming out and this emphasis on prevention, this emphasis on uh, resilience and how do we help kids bounce back from emotion. And I think that will have such a big impact in helping as not just prevent you know the worst of the worst right like so much of what we've seen over the last couple of years has been the increase in suicide rates and gun violence in schools mm-hmm. and that's that those are the fires that i'm talking about mm-hmm. and i'm really excited to get to a point where we're helping kids way before that happens right wait when that like one person looks at them funny in the hallway and makes them feel bad like let's talk about that then so that that doesn't grow into something that unfortunately can cause a dangerous situation for themselves or for others and and that's the thing like that's how those things start right it's like a little kernel that then continues to escalate Um, so i'm talking to more school districts and talking to more counselors who are really interested in that work um and so that's that's my vision for you know in five years like we have this whole system of fire prevention <laughs> mm-hmm. that allows us to not just always be firefighting because there won't be as many fires mm-hmm. and to to truly sort of manage our resources accordingly so that we're spending more time on that prevention.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also the tool is um, making sure districts have the a capacity to hire more mental health professionals because um, teachers feel like a lot of time they have to take on that mental health role uh, that they're not always trained for, um, and um, although they they build relationships with students that want to be that uh, trusted adult, sometimes it is beyond what the teacher's capacity is, and um, you know I think that's uh, something that I think a lot of schools were looking at um, really closely uh, during the pandemic, but maybe not as fo- focused on right now um, for all the schools. But what is the data really showing us uh, now? As we start this next school year, Um, in terms of what students are going through, like you mentioned a little bit about increased suicide rates, Um, if we look at maybe ages 12 through 18, uh, what are you... This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better
0: tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode.
1: Seeing kind of the trends in the past year or so...
0: Yeah, so at the at a high level, we deal with a lot of academic pressure, yeah. friendship, like lots of peer conflict, um, lots of romance. <laughs> yeah. So whether that's like you know your typical middle school crushes, um, and and like breakups, right? That like that is again very quintessentially the middle school experience, middle school and high school experience. Um, we're seeing a some bullying and social isolation I think more social isolation that we've seen in the past um, just given the pandemic and the lack of social skills um, and conversations around family dynamics right I mean the data shows that so uh, there was a lot of caregivers who um, either lost their lives during the pandemic were the substance use increased during the pandemic and divorce rates skyrocketed during the pandemic so kids are really dealing with a lot of those like family fallouts in work and and trying to navigate that as best they can so a lot of conversations about how to have conversations with family members how to sort of draw boundaries with family members and how to um, best support family members who might be struggling themselves Mm -hmm. Um, interestingly I was looking at I was trying to identify because we have demographic data as well so looking at you know there's differences between like girls are talking about and boys are talking about or what different uh, levels of or different uh, races and ethnicities are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have some data around that, but like when I was also looking at we we do um a screener up front for depression and anxiety. And to try to get a sense of like what are the things that are that are that kids are talking about at their higher level higher levels of need. And what's fascinating there, and this goes back to this, like, oh, a small kernel can impact a lot of things. Like, they're still talking about the same things. Yeah. Right? It's still the sport the academic pressure, the friendships. Yeah. So, so much of that is still the same. Um, one thing I noticed is the the ones with more severe needs yeah. talk more about self-esteem. Like, how do we help parents Love themselves and feel good about themselves, especially in a world where like you're on social media creating this alternative brand <laughs> constantly and and putting all, all these filters and sort you of know, putting on a different persona. Um, I, re- I think like that there's a big opportunity there to help kids mm-hmm. with self-esteem, too, and especially as we look at those like higher level needs. Um, so yeah, some those are some of the things I've noticed. You can dive into any of the demographic data that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, it's not necessarily new stuff. Like a lot of educators I think, are thinking it's like social media and the influence. But I was also looking at a um, survey yesterday because um, I, I tutor students in Norwegian. And it was actually a survey out of Norway uh, that to- told about students' social media use, ages 12 through 18. But, you know, they self-regulated, they said, when they answered the survey, you know, on how much they would use or you know, how, what kind of uh, influencer they would follow and things like that. So sometimes many of the data shows that the students aren't as addicted to that or maybe not as like wanting to be pressured by that as much. And like you're saying, it's this um, pressure to get good grades. Sometimes it's the family dynamic, like you said, it's the um, maybe the isolation, but not finding friends that they can connect with. Um, So yeah, I think that's um, something that we need to continue to work on in terms of you know, finding the right resources for our families. But uh, like you said, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into a a particular subgroup. So uh, students of color, especially those who um, maybe are in small communities, Um, if there is a high school or a middle school that really, you know, might have a school counselor, but um, it could be a larger school with only one counselor, not enough resources. So what does it mean for a student to talk to a counselor when it's in a small town? And how are the dynamics different in small districts? Yeah, small towns are, it's so,
0: it's such an interesting sort of community or archetype because where you you do have so many beautiful things about being in a small town, like everyone knows each other and you have these like strong communities. But at the same time, that means that everybody knows each other, right? So for you to, to step into the counselor's office, we might see at the supermarket later uh, and say something that is that you feel shame about or that you're not you know it's something that you're still like working through it's a challenge so you didn't know that you don't know how to articulate yet right like there's a lot I mean think about what it takes the level of vulnerability that it takes for you as an adult to have an honest conversation about your emotions even with yourself yeah and yeah. then do that with an adult <laughs> around you and then, and think about that, and all the steps that you have to go through, and then have that impose all those steps on a kid. Right? It's it's a lot to ask of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we're seeing that kids really want a space where they can feel that that's judgment free, right yeah. that they can sort of say the thing that's on their mind without feeling like, oh, that person's gonna, I'm gonna see them in the hallway, and they're gonna like think of me differently um mm-hmm. uh, because again we're the, like especially this generation is so conditioned to have like a brand and a persona yeah. yeah I mean all of us care a lot about what other people think about us but like mm-hmm. I think because of the rise of social media this generation's even more uh, attuned to it mm-hmm. and and that means that I mean if we talk about bipoc students in particular you know there's so many Cultural stigmas, where like I'm from Colombia, and like very much a culture where you don't have, you don't get therapy, like being having therapy means like you're broken, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not seen as a, sign, as a uh, sign of strength to ask for help yet. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, changing that every time. I right? saw so there's some bills out there that the administration is trying to pass through to make some changes there. Uh, but all those things matter right and, and so we we really think about like how do we normalize? how do we make it's like everyone has a bad day. it's not a big deal. you don't have to come to us with like the biggest, hardest thing that's ever happened to you. It's like you're just feeling lonely or some look that you're funny in the hallway, let's talk about that, and that it's okay to talk about the little things
1: so they don't become big things okay, okay, yeah, no, I think definitely, and like you mentioned, there are a certain island, cultural um you know, uh, stigmas, right. Um, the kids that are, you know, maybe in a large family, they feel like, um, you know, they don't have time to care for themselves or focus on their problems. And I think, like you said, it does take a lot of, um, you know, a lot of gumption, right. For kids to want to reach out to a counselor. Um, so yeah, it's, um, hopefully they don't put it off. Um, they can work with, uh, other stuff. I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, there's a lot of chat about that GPT and the use of just AI in schools, and um, you know, increased use of just different apps for kids. And about what 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 can they do about, um, you know, the increasing? I would say tech plus humans. Um, some people see it as a problem. Some people don't. Uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, I use chat quite a lot on my day-to-day for support and all the things about you know running a business and i'm so confident in our need to for more human connection not less right so much of that will be missed during the pandemic was having that social connection and that's connectivity and Sure, like, every time I ask ChatGPT something, I'm like, hey, can you please do this? Right, like, hey, kind of like a human. Yeah, that's <laughs> nicely, <thing. laughs> But yeah. it's not the same, right? And so, like, I see, I'm seeing sort of screenshots on Twitter, or I guess, uh, of people talking about how they are treating ChatGPT or like, the Snap AI as, as their therapist. And there's, you know, there's, Cognitive behavioral therapy is widely available. Like you can you can have some strategies there for sure. But so much of what when we get feedback from kids, like what means the most to them is the fact that someone took time out of their day to listen to them. And you I mean, you talked about the burden and kids feeling like a burden because they're going through something and not feeling like they can speak up in a large family because there's so much going on. And and I was talking about like how so much of my time growing up was about like holding space. And like having holding that space and making someone feel special and heard, AI can't do that, right? Like that is a uniquely human thing. Mm-hmm. So we think a lot about, okay, how do we how do we bring this human connection through via technology and make it really accessible? And how do we create layers of empathy um, because of who our coaches are? So we hire coaches that are BIPOC, that have dealt with things, that 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 dealt with things when they were growing up, that like really truly get it. Mm-hmm. So because then that conversation, that connection is so much easier to have. It's just like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Like I know what you're going through. And the level of connection and empathy is just that much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I mean, maybe I'm old school, but I don't think we're going to be able to replace that with AI anytime soon. Uh, and then on the safety side, there's still a lot of challenges with AI, right? I, we're, we're we're experimenting with some things, and like you can't tell AI not to do something. I like building those guide rails around it is, is really hard, and for a student who's struggling with self harm or. More acute needs, giving them it's basically like a more powerful Google where you can get, yeah, sure you can't ask it straight up like how to do X, but you can find ways around it, and kids are very good to find <laughs> finding finding ways around it. So um, I'm I, I there's a lot more work that these AI models need to do to create robust boundaries around it until it's like fully ready to be sort of like a therapeutic pal, if you will um and i know some companies that are out there working on it uh, a lot of them have decided to keep the model closed right it's not generative it's actually a more closed off model because the generative piece isn't there yet so lots more work to be done i'm sure it will happen within our lifetime and and i still believe that there's so much value and I, i still see that there's so much value that kids get from the human to human interaction.
1: Yeah. I don't think uh we can replace, you know, that that personalized uh you know, call you know, somebody might have, you know, a bot that they speak to or, you know, when it becomes more sophisticated, but it's not going to be the same thing. So yeah, I agree with you in terms of like it's not ready right now, definitely, but there's a lot of developments out there uh, Talk to me a little bit about how Playful works. Um, if schools were to purchase um, Playful um, for the building or for uh, the district, um, what can students do, and how can it be implemented in an advisory or a DLA lesson? So we we're, we're really aiming to reach students where they're at.
0: Mm -hmm. there's no surprise based on the rest of our conversation that that's on their devices so either on their phone or on their our school issue device kids can go on and start chatting with a coach within 60 seconds so the idea is again to help kids like in the moment when they're feeling the thing to work through it right away Mm -hmm. through that session they get all these the coping skills they get they talk through the challenges, they get really useful tips. Um, And then we take that data and we're able to aggregate all that information into insights for the school. So then to the school, we can say like, hey, did you know that your students are actually really stressed out about these upcoming tests? Mm -hmm. And it's funny, because sometimes the schools are like, wait, what? I thought they didn't care. Like these kids are showing up, like not without even like a pencil in hand. I thought they just didn't care about anything. Like, no, no, actually, they're paralyzed with fear. So it's quite the opposite. Yeah. And so it becomes a really meaningful conversation about what students actually need and the gaps and, like, what you're seeing and the actions and the behaviors are showing and the, the need, like, the emotional needs. Um, and then as we started having more of these conversations, the... Schools were like, well, that, this is super helpful, but like, what do I do? <laughs> so we're like, great question, great question, especially at a time where schools are quite overwhelmed. Um, so, we started creating weekly lessons that teachers can do in advisory. Um, the beauty of the lessons is they're all self paced, so kids can go through it on their own. Teachers don't have to, have to teach any of it. it, it's the content's all through, it's all taught through the lesson itself. Mm-hmm. and we tackle everything from like bullying but we call it gossiping it's like oh what happens what what role do you play in the gossip game or like which anxiety animal are you you because know, we love our quizzes mm-hmm. and it, it's become this really approachable fun way of getting meaningful strategies into the hands of kids in a way that's meeting them where they're at cognitively and culturally right it's not you're like old school sex set tape that everyone giggles and laughs about because it completely hits the mark, but it's rather trying to be, try try to meet them where they're at and and actually resonate, so it actually resonates and they actually, you know, capture some of it. Um, So with that, that's what teachers will do in advisory. Um, And then of course, if there's another sort of mental health or SEL curriculum, we'll leverage that as well. So this is like supplementary to that. Um, and and then can chat with the coach during that time. So whether they're they can chat right after that the journal sort of brought some things up for them, or if they're doing other other lessons on on self management or any SEL related stuff, they can also use leverage that, that time to chat with the coach. Um, a lot of them are, you know, it's a, there's a lot of reading and writing attached to these. These lessons, so the um, there are some teachers are doing it, and there's some schools are implementing them in EOA, Um, because it meets some of those standards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been we've even seen kids use it in foreign language classes mm-hmm. because we can offer coaching in 132 languages. So they'd be like, they'll come in and start talking in French, and be like, oh, I'm practicing my French, but also like want to talk about this thing that's going on. So. Mm-hmm. Not a not a use case we plan for, but kind of a fun one to, to be able to support.
1: Mm-hmm, and yeah. So if the school were to um want to implement this, uh, would they be able to use like a, a trial phase? Would they be able to just uh, work with a small group of teachers first and then uh, implement it school-wide? Yeah, we can be flexible
0: for pilots. Um, our goal is really to work on like normalization, right? not in reducing stigma. So we'd be pretty, I, we have a pretty strong point of view that it shouldn't be, you know, just your special ed kids or just like your housing insecure population, but rather it's like a general ed pop that will where everybody can support because you also don't know who needs help because they're not, already, they're not, they may not already be on the right, ra- on your radar. Yeah. So that that would be the only constraint that we're pretty, on. Um, but other than that, we're we're pretty flexible for schools to be able to try it out in their school, really see the impact and and be able to communicate that impact to the site lead or the district side.
1: I think we've had a great conversation today around uh, just your story and how uh you found your niche now and uh you starting playful and using some of your experience from uh, working with Nearpod and being an engineer. um, And then a little bit about just how, um, you know, kids, uh, what kind of mental health support they need and what some very good challenges are out. Out of everything we talked about, what's one thing you'd like like listeners to remember? I would like for them to know how
0: important it is to make space for people and to remember that, like, you know everyone has hard days and you making that space and being that for them can make all, all the difference
1: where can people connect with you and find you online
0: yeah so i actually created a little link for this community um where we can if you want to chat with me about playful right away um you can go to playful.co slash trenches and then if you want to just follow us on Twitter or Instagram, you can find our handle. It's Clayful, Clayful Health. Um, and we post a lot of our, and Facebook as well. Um, and we post a lot of our tools. So on a weekly basis, we'll have some of the journals that I mentioned. We'll repost the tools that we're teaching kids on on the social platforms. So if you want to learn how to apologize to each other or do how ha Want
1: to check out which anxiety animal you are? <laughs> you can go on there and, and check out some other strategies there. Great, right, great. Right. I'll make sure I put those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure learning more about Playful and um, your work in um, helping students um with their struggles today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Check out the show notes on danagootier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at of.